Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Mel Hammer Podcast. It is episode 133. I am Mel from That There Mel Hammer Magazine. Joining me also from That There Mel Hammer Magazine is Miss Eleanor Goodman. How are you doing, El? I'm good, thanks. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. The sun's gone, but we carry on. It's fine. It's all uh, good now. Also from That There Mel Hammer Magazine, um, in a bit more of a writing capacity, but he's still good. It's Mr. Stephen Hill. How are you doing, Steve? Hello, mate. How are you? You all right? I just said I'm good, so, yeah. Okay. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, Eleanor, you all right? Nice to speak to you. Been a while. Yeah, nice to speak to you as well. Have you got a cat near you? She's just come down the stairs, actually, but I, I can't control her enough to be able to sort of manoeuvre her towards me and then pick her up so you can see her. So, I mean, that'll be part of the excitement of the podcast will be Will Bonjour jump up and then you'll get excited I suppose like but stick around for that guys if anything <laughs> I would if you're really lucky, we'll just get a little shitty hiss somewhere <laughs> or something. Um, oh Steve's drinking out of his Metallica beer cup that I gave him the other day good to see on brand thank you cheers I appreciate that thank you for the gift and thank no you problem. for noticing no problem generous editor so <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> That's enough office bullshit. Listen, uh, we got a lot to get through. It is a stacked uh, week for metal releases. Um, we're going to talk about a couple of those and go in big on one of them later on the show as well. Uh, lots of news to get through as well. Some lovely questions from you lot. Um, so let's go on with it, shall we? Uh, there is, of course, the latest issue of Metal Hammer magazine that is out right now in shops across the UK, featuring the one and only Corey Taylor on the cover ahead of his, quite frankly, batshit insane solo album that we'll be going in deep on uh, at some point in the coming weeks on the podcast. Uh, we've also got a big piece in there on Black Sabbath's Paranoid turning 50. We've got a great piece in there on Deftones, uh, the Elro, and we're going to be going in on the new album in just a bit. Uh, we've got interviews about Iron Maiden. We've got a big Enslave feature in there. We've got a big Svalbard piece in there. Uh, we've got a big Bollywood piece in there. Alison Chains, Ginger, uh, our tribute to Riley Gale from Power Trip. Loads and loads of stuff in there. It's out right now in newsstands across the land in the UK. Or you can order it online directly to your door from tinyurl.com slash gethammer. Uh, also, if you're thinking about subscribing, we always appreciate your support. It is the best way to support the magazine and it is also the best value money to get hold of all your metal hammers. Uh, so go to, w, uh, go to Magazines Direct, sorry, is the website to get it. Uh, magazines direct is the place to subscribe and uh yeah we've got some good good deals going on and all the rest of it so you can get metal hammer delivered every single month slightly ahead of the newsstand um and you should definitely go and do uh exactly that um so yeah that's the magazine uh i just realized i have my notes on my phone and i've lost them here they are l watched the lama god stream did you watch that as well steve or not i haven't seen it back yet no, I didn't watch it, mate. I didn't. Sorry. I was watching a no effects stream, which is not really very oh. metal. Sorry. No, we don't hear about that. Uh, how was the live <laughs> stream, Al? Um, one or two. Which one was it on Friday? It was the current album in full. Huh. How was that? Yeah, it was really good. So Bleed From Within did a support slot, which was quite nice because, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, I haven't seen any live streams yet that have support slots. There have obviously been streams with multiple bands and the festival style. Trivium, my life supported Trivium. Good point, good point. So um, but that was cool. Bleed From Within did a support slot and they'd recorded a set, um, presumably back in Scotland somewhere. 
And it was nice to see them because obviously their last record was really good and it's a real shame they haven't been able to hit the road and tour it around. So to support Lamb of God is pretty cool and hopefully a lot of people tuned in and watched that. And then Lamb of God itself, we were talking about the Lamb, well, you and Jonathan were talking about the Lamb of God record last podcast because you were saying it's the most disappointing record for you this year, which is a little bit harsh, I would say. I could see why you've said it's the most disappointing of the year. But I had kind of put it to one side. I, I'd kind of listened to it and thought, I quite like this, but I'd given it a rest. And it, I definitely had one of those moments where I was watching this live stream and I was like, oh, this song's really good. This song's really good. This song's really good. And it's got some really good songs on it. And to see them played live when we're so starved of live music and to see them being really into it was just really nice. And I think perhaps, you know, maybe the self-titled record is a little bit one-paced and there aren't any massive surprises on it I'd give you that but the songs they're put together are really good and they have a lot more subtlety on them so obviously they opened with Memento Mori because they were doing the record in order and the deep voiced intro bit sounded really good and there's quite a lot of moments on that record well a few moments where he kind of drops into that sort of deep way of kind of singing or intoning and it sounded really cool and um they were playing quite a small space, but I think that really worked for them because it was a bit like a sweaty club, really, and up close and personal. Mm. And Randy looked a little bit awkward at first because, I mean, let's face it, it's weird, isn't it, being abandoned during a gig for people you can't see. But by the time they got into gears, he was really into it. Um, and he was just moving a lot more na- naturally as well. And the rest of the band just seemed to be really happy to be playing. Um, Randy was wearing a Holy Fawn T-shirt as well, which is cool. Um oh, Art Cruz sounded really sharp. He sounded really good. Um, the rest of the band, yeah, everyone sounded good. You know, they sounded like they'd been um, playing the material for a while. It didn't sound like awkward or anything. So they obviously did rehearsals and stuff. Um, and Randy didn't speak until after Gears. And um, it was quite nice. He kind of welcomed people to the broadcast. And then he said, this next song is about speaking to power. It's for our friend Riley Gale. And then they played Reality Bath. So that was nice. He did a shout out to Riley. Resurrection Man was a highlight. A lot of people picked that song out when the record came out as being one of the best ones. It's got the blur in it that I'm not going to do, but you know what a blur is. And it's got the breakdown bit at the end. And probably it did, there was a little bit of a lull around like Poison Dream and Roots, but it did quite a good impression of Chuck Billy on Roots. And then they were kind of back on it for the end of the record. And that final track on the hook, it gets really sinister and heavy at the end. And I was just watching it thinking like, yeah, this is Lamb of God, like being Lamb of God. And I'm just really happy that I get to watch Lamb of God be Lamb of God, even if it's kind of from my sofa by myself. (laughs) Um, So yeah, and then they played a couple of tracks at the end, just a few extra tracks. But I just, yeah, it was good. I really enjoyed it. I mean, I think I've said multiple times that I'm really glad that some bands are getting to do this. And Lama God are one of these bands that had their touring cycle cut short and haven't been able to do this. And I'm really glad they did. I think a lot of people watching it would have really enjoyed it. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a very fair point about, you know, how uh, new songs can often maybe shouldn't be fully judged until they're seen live um and yeah you know i I did i did find the album a bit disappointing overall but i think it was only in hindsight just because it's been such a high bar this year do you know what i mean like the closest thing lama god have had to peers that have put albums this year i'm thinking bands like trivium code orange like they've just like they've arguably put out their career best work and even though i think the lama god album was good i don't think anyone's 
Well, actually, that's not bad. Joe Daly in the review said it was one of the best things they've done. So there are people out there that think it's on that level. But for me, it's not on that level. But I think it's maybe what your expectations are. I think, like, you know, if you're expecting a kind of evolution or expecting loads of surprises or expecting something wildly different, you definitely would have been disappointed with that. But if you literally just go, it's a Lamb of God record self-titled you know that kind of implies it's lamb of god being lamb of god and you actually sort of listen to the way the song's put together you know they're a long-running professional band they know how to write a song they know how to write a record and yeah it's not reinventing the still yeah i was trying to, <laughs> I was trying to think of something to say it's not reinventing lambs but <laughs> <laughs> definitely not or gods but it's it's when you actually you know sit down and they play all the songs it's really you do get into it you're like yeah this is good like they're really into yeah. it and you see all the little bits and pieces that are put together and the solos and um you know like i said sort of those some of those deeper vocals which were nice and um i think it just makes you kind of thankful to have a band like them a god really and to see a show like that at a time like this so you know it's interesting that they had uh bleed from within as well because i mean lama god are the undisputed and genuinely the undisputed kings of doing that kind of metal as certainly as far as the 21st century goes but for this year i do think that if that kind of groove heavy modern strain of heavy metal is your thing i think the bleed from within album is a better example of that than the lama god album from this year um i'll back you on that merlin Ooh. I feel confident in my take now. Yeah. Um, You've been validated. <laughs> Fracture sounded really good. Yeah, I would, I would definitely back you on that. I think there's more going on in Fracture than there is in the new Lamb of God album. I think it's kind of unfair. I mean, obviously, I didn't see the stream, so I can't comment on what it sounded like live and how it felt live. But for me, like, I, I mean, just speaking of the, the record, the self-titled Lamb of God record, yeah, you know, I don't expect anything new from Lamb of God after, what, eight or nine albums at this point. But um, knowing that they're capable of writing really, really incredible songs, um, just them doing some quite good songs or some like, I mean, we're going to talk about Deftones in, in a bit. And I think how you remain relevant as you get into the, or, or how you kind of evolve getting into the more twilight years of you as a band while still being recognisably the band that you always were is an incredibly difficult skill to manage. And... I don't really think, I mean, we were talking about Napalm Death last week and you look at a band like that and what they've done later in their career. And for me, a kind of decent version of things that you've already done incredible versions of. It's not a bad thing. If it was the first Lamb of God album I'd ever heard, if I was like 14 and someone said, oh, there's this band Lamb of God, if you like metal, you should listen to them. And I heard Lamb of God, Lamb of God. I'd probably think, wow, this band are really good. But then you hear Sacrament or Wrath or, you know, ashes of the wake and your brain's going to explode do you know what i mean so i think it's just you you can't it's very difficult to escape that context with a band like lamb of god i think and it doesn't make the album a bad record it just makes it you know the the, the least good one in their back catalogue i think interesting well on a friday night during a pandemic watching one of my favorite bands do a live stream even if it's not the best record i'm definitely going to enjoy that so <laughs> that's <Yeah>. my take <laughs> Good. Well, I've been, I want to see this dream because um, I think there are some cracking songs on that album as well. Like I really wanted to see Memento Mori is definitely my favorite, one of my favorite songs they've done in ages. Um, yeah, Chatmate's great. Um, you said he did a good Chuck Billy impression. Did he do a Jasper impression? Did he suddenly stop being like, oh, blah, blah, blah. That'd be amazing. I don't, I don't remember that. 
um but yeah uh definitely want to see that that stream back before um kind of pass any uh you know any like i guess final thoughts on those songs it definitely sounds like they sounded wicked live and there's another lamb of god stream coming of course as well yeah they do more ash of the wake mm-hmm. yeah that'll be interesting seeing those songs done um not in front of a crowd by a very different band to the ones that write them but that should be pretty cracking i mean if the new album stream is sounding big that stream's gonna sound really good isn't it yeah yeah definitely no doubt about it um right some poo bits of news to start really a couple of like just rubbish things that we we should talk about really um one of them's only we just found out about late last night i think in the uh, anathema have gone on indefinite hiatus um this is of course uh like veteran and uh, iconic uh band from the uh north of england the north england kind of doom scene many years ago obviously they uh, evolved into something wholly different but equally is fantastic over the years um i mean i don't know i think you guys are both probably quite big anathema fans right so this is this is this is a shitty thing a shitty thing for sure uh, i'm not an anathema i don't really i've only got like one of their albums i think so i i'm i'm aware that they're good but i'm not a big anathema fan to be perfectly honest and not in like oh they suck i just don't really know that much about them to be perfectly honest so oh, l I like Anathema. I think this is really sad news. Um, I'd say that I'm more in tune with old school Anathema, or it's more on the metal side than the prog side, but ultimately they are a brilliant human, emotional band, um, exceptionally talented, been around for years and years, have set the template for so many people and influenced so many people. And it's really hard to wrap your head around because I just thought they were one of those bands that would just keep going like forever. Mm. Um and it's another horrible symptom of the pandemic. You know, there was a survey yeah. out this week from the Musicians Union, wasn't there, saying a third of musicians are looking to quit the industry because times are so hard. And you just keep hoping that more funding will come from somewhere and there'll be something to save people's livelihoods. It's just a very desperate situation right now. Yeah, it is. It's a shame. Um, they put out a statement that said, uh, Dear Anathema family, this year is one like no others. We've all, every one of you included, faced unpredictable challenges which impacted both our professional and personal situations. In this hardest of times, events over this year has left us with no option but to go on an indefinite hiatus. Uh, as individuals, individuals, it is now time to pursue other paths in life. Um, and yeah, this does really speak to just how, you know, how much the music industry has been affected because I think a lot of the time, there's still this kind of idea of how big bands are and therefore how much they can live off their music and blah, 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 blah. You know, Anathema are a pretty big band. One of the most widely renowned and respected British, um, you know, uh, they're not metal now, but kind of from the British metal scene um, that there's been. Uh, so, you know, the fact that they feel kind of unable to continue in the current climate is a real bummer. Hopefully, it means that, you know, this is a hiatus and they will be back. I'm sure we'll hear something from them again at some point. But um, they're, they are a really, really great band. I mean, if you haven't heard their kind of very early records, um, they kind of came out of the same scene that brought us bands like Paradise Lost and My Dying Bride. Um, so if you're into that stuff, definitely go and check out their early albums. But I actually think the band that they evolved into was even better. Like, as Elle said, so emotional and just so beautifully put together um they're kind of similar to the the journey that bands like catatonia have taken um and i think it was 
about 10 years ago. They had an album called We're Here Because We're Here. And I remember oh, reviewing it. Yeah, it's an amazing record. And I remember reviewing it for uh, Rock Sounds magazine. And I think it might have been one of the first nine out of tens I gave when I was working for them. Um, and that was just such a huge album for me that year. And uh, if I was going to recommend one thing, um, I'd definitely recommend you go check that record out because it's just beautiful. Um, but yeah, hopefully we'll see those guys back. It is worth saying as well, their last record, The Optimist, won Album of the Year at the Prog Awards in 2017. Obviously, Prog is our sister magazine. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they, I mean, they kind of did go into... They're one of those bands that I never really thought of as Prog, like when I used to listen to them a bit more. But um, they like uh, the more they've kind of evolved and become more expansive with their sound, the more the Prog world has kind of, you know, quite fairly claimed them. Um, and yeah, that's a good point. They did win Album of the Year. So, I mean, very, very relevant up to very recently, that band. And I'm sure they will be uh, back at some point uh, as the times move on. Um, also in Poo News, didn't want to start off with too much negative stuff, but I feel like we have to, have to, have to shout out Crowbar. We talked about them a few weeks ago when they put some merch up on sale um, because they were struggling to reopen in the current climate. And unfortunately, it has actually been confirmed uh, that their Crowbar, at least in its current place, right in the heart of Soho, has in fact closed. Um, so there's a full statement from owner Richard Thomas that you could read on the Crowbar's Facebook page. Uh, basically has a lot to say about the government and kind of landlords and all sorts of stuff that has led them to make this very difficult decision. Um, but for those that have been outside the London, you know, the London metal scene, the Crowbar is, you know, I think comfortably the most famous and maybe even infamous metal bar in London. And not just in London, but in Europe. I mean, I've been to kind of college towns in southern america like outside atlanta where i kind of be like i'd introduce myself to people and be like oh yeah like i'm into metal blah blah blah, blah. and people go oh right you're like you've got that you've got that metal bar in london right um it's like you know dave grohl drank in there Lars Ulrich drank in there lady gaga went in there justin bieber went in there like such a huge huge gap has been left behind uh in the metal scene by this bar closing down and uh yeah what a shitter, but what a bar it was, right? Yeah, I mean, it had a lot of character. It was yeah. cramped. You had yeah. to go about four hours. If you put a song on the jukebox, you had to stay there for four hours before the fucking song came on. I don't think, I think they might have cleaned the toilets on the day they moved in. <laughs> that was the first and last time they cleaned them. But um, yeah, it was a real sort of rites of passage place. Like for me, being a sort of rock and metal fan, living just outside of, you know, an hour outside of London, you just wanted to go there. And when I first moved to London, it was the place where I was like, well, I have to go and hang out at the Crowbar, just like I had to go to the, you know, the LA2 on a Friday night to go to their, you know, their um, their rock night or whatever, and you go to the Crowbar beforehand. Um, yeah, it's really sad, man. I mean, it's just that part of London, I hate, like, now the Astoria's gone, I despise that part of London with, I, I have a real, like, genuine hatred for that, for what's happened to that part of London from the sort of the 12 bar, now the crow bar, the, um, all the kind of blues clubs around there. The, the it, Jeffrey Fox. Yeah. Borderline's gone. Mean Fiddler's gone. It used to be such a wicked place when I was growing up. And even in my sort of mid to late 20s when I was hanging around London, it used to be so amazing. And it's just... It, I don't know why anyone would want it. Like it's just vacuous shit now. It's soulless. It's horrible. 
fuck you the government who did that to that place it's, it's it's so it's massively depressing i got a real bee in my bonnet about this shit and the crowbar was like last man standing and now it's like well why we hard, man. go there man why thought so yeah agree with all of that it used to be that you could go out in camden or you could go to tottenham court road and you could go to all those different places and see music and see people and they all had like little places to play as well obviously the borderline was a venue sometimes um crowbar had like bands even though it was absolutely tiny like literally bands on the floor and 12 bar had that like little tiny stage as well and it was like a real hub of places to go and people to see exciting things happening and there just isn't that now and it just really really sucks the last time that i went in crowbar was earlier this year i think it was january and we had the editor over from metal hammer japan our um franchise title over there and he wanted to see like um a bit of london so we were there and we yeah we did what you said we fed a load of coins into the jukebox and then just waited for ages <laughs> to, like him metallica and slayer and all the stuff we'd chosen um and yeah it was cool we went there and then there was one place left there's garlic and shots we went there then we went to garlic and shots but it was cool that you know because it it was so legendary. It was nice to kind of take people there and be like, here is a home of metal in London. Here is like a cool place to see where loads of people have been and where you can have like just, you don't know what's going to happen, who you're going to see. Yeah. It's sad. It was, it's amazing. And, it, and it's funny because you both kind of pointed like almost every single tribute I've seen on Facebook from people that have been going to the crowbar for like a decade before I was even all do say the same thing. Like it was cramps and it was, like messy and it was just like the jukebox was amazing but a mare to get songs played on um like it didn't feel like you rarely went in there without seeing the mighty jerry ewing from Prague and malcolm dome and kind of like real like legends of the, the music journalism scene hanging out there you'd always see friendly faces in there it was just unlike any other bar i've probably ever been into and obviously following on so closely from big red's closing in um in holloway road i know they've reopened but it's under different staff and everything else uh it, you know it definitely definitely feels like the the kind of opportunities for subcultures and alternative cultures in london to really thrive and have not just bars but actual kind of spaces to hang out in and and you know so soho you do that part of soho used to be like Grebo town you could like come into town go for a drink at the Trevor fox go to a gig go to a drink at crowbar go to a after club night at sin or um, whatever that glam metal one was that they used to have in uh, Soho. Like it was a real hub and we're losing a lot of these places now. And um, you know, it doesn't really look like we've currently got a, a establishment in place that are worried about looking after that side of our culture, which really fucking sucks. Um, so hopefully I know there are plans for crowbar to reopen somewhere else. So once that happens, we need to make sure that we're all kind of, supporting these places and helping to nurture them because metal scene needs places to grow man and it's uh yeah it's slightly slim pickings at the moment which is on, not the, great. on the plus side if you do go to that part of london now you can go to starbucks and you can, you can sit in starbucks and look at the other starbucks on the other side of the road um while you're drinking your starbucks so you know i guess london's still got it swing in london to starbucks london. like that's the thing it's like people don't come to these big cities 
to go to every, to the fucking places that they see in their hometown all over the place. The reason, no. but you know, the reason why London is this amazing city and people wanted to come here is to go to places like the Crowbar, not to go to fucking Costa, you twat. Yeah, other coffee brands are available. Um, but yeah, yeah like, the fucking street where the Astoria used to be. Like, oh, I'm going to buy a phone and a coffee. That's much better than going to an actual place with a, some actual fucking atmosphere. And, Don't forget yeah. the TK Maxx and the yeah. Super Drug. Oh, yeah. yeah. Love, love the Super Drug. Brilliant. Hey, man, Super Drug's been there like 10 years now. That's like old school in that part. So. <laughs> Um, oh, bonjour's on oh, camera. Hello. Steve's just put his beautiful cap bonjour up to say hello. Hello, Bongle. Um, but yeah, it sucks. It's absolute bullshit. And, and that is so true about going places. Because obviously, if you're, if you're based around London, you are spoiled for places to go. But literally, anytime I go fucking anywhere, whether it's like, like Paris or Weymouth, like, I don't care. Like, the first thing is, what rock bars are there? Where can I go that's, like, got a good jukebox and just feels like it's going to have Slayer stickers in the toilets and stuff? Um, we need to support these places. So, obviously, as soon as we know what the long-term future is with Crowbar, we'll let everybody know. Um, and I know that there are many, many stories like that of Crowbar around the UK at the moment. So, it's not a not great situation to be in, but we just all got to keep on supporting the scene in whatever ways we can. And somehow, some way, we will be back on our feet. Um, the good thing is that there is good news happening. There is good stuff happening right now. Uh, we're very excited about... Uh, this, uh, this next Enslaved uh, stream that's coming up. They've been doing a cinematic summer tour, playing a variety of different streaming shows across the summer. And the next one is coming next week, Thursday, October 1st. Uh, the new Enslaved album is actually out next week, I think. It is an absolute cracker. We've got a big feature on it in the current issue. And uh, us right here at Metal Hammer are teaming up with Prog Magazine to kind of co-present this, uh, this next Enslave stream that's happening next Thursday. It's going to be called Utgard, which is the name of the album. Uh, Utgard, The Journey Within. Uh, uh, that album is out, as I said, next week via Nuclear Blast. Uh, and the band are going to be performing some songs for the new album live for the very first time. So if you fancy getting stuck into that, it's going to be an awesome stream by an awesome band. Um, we talked about how the likes of Anathema and... and, uh, and um, catatonia have been like really evolutionary in their in their work over the years enslaved are just one of the most fascinating metal bands in terms of where their music's taken them the new album's great you can watch the new songs from it live uh co-presented by us which is nice on thursday that should be a good old time shouldn't it yes <laughs> it, it will be a good time if you read the feature you'll know how mysterious that record is and how it's all about journeying into your own consciousness to try and find answers it's pretty mind-blowing um so i'm kind of curious to see how that will translate live absolutely it's gonna be fascinating thursday october 1st is the day of that enslaved stream and uh, as i said have a, head over to the metal hammer website for more info on how you can get involved in more positive news uh svalbard have found a new home for their new album uh, following the exodus of bands from holy raw records in the wake of allegations made uh, against label owner alex fitzpatrick uh, Svalbard have announced that their new album, When I Die, Will I Get Better, is still going to come out this very Friday via Church Road Records, which is an independent label run by employed to serve singer and former Holy Raw, Holy Raw employee, excuse me, uh, Justine Jones, which is great. So go support it. That is one of many, many uh, songs that uh, uh, albums, sorry, that are coming out this Friday. It's a stacked week for music. 
uh, and we go into that new album as well in the latest issue of Metal Hammer. Uh, we talked to Serena Cherry from Svalbard about that record and the writing that goes into it, including a song actually written about Metal Hammer, which is quite an interesting one. Yeah. Thoughts? <laughs> um, yeah, uh, that's pretty... Like, I saw that in the in the feature, and I was like, oh, shit, because obviously it was about a feature or about a, a column, uh, so a think piece that I wrote. Um and that we've spoken about a whole bunch of times about sort of um, a fe- like how much I had enjoyed hearing what I thought was a sort of newfound female perspective in metal. I mean, I've said this, I think, on this show before. I've certainly said it online and in other shows before. It wasn't meant to be a sort of, you know, feminist call to arms or anything like that. It really wasn't meant to be that that feature. It was that, that piece. I mean, it ended up being, oh, Metal Hammer, you're trying to be woke. And it it was like from my own personal perspective, as the person who wrote it, I, I never intended it to be that at all. I intended it to be just like, isn't it good that we're finally hearing something that I've never really heard before in metal? And I think, mm. fortunately, it kind of got, uh, I think that point got missed by a lot of people on both sides. And um, yeah, I mean, everybody is entitled to have their opinion on on that. And obviously, Serena's got her opinion on that and has written a song about it. And, um, you know, I, I I was a little bit like, to say I wasn't a little bit like, oh, oh, that's a shame that you felt like that. But then, you know, she's, obviously, I'm I'm not, <laughs> I got a kind of slight glimpse into the the madness that just being a kind of a woman in the metal scene like that the kind of yeah the madness of of that from the sort of the online trolls and so i can understand how you Mm. would be fucking sick of that shit you know so Mm. it was it's certainly interesting it's certainly given me food for thought i think yeah it's like like the brief bit of context around this is yeah steve did a piece on um for for us uh on kind of why there's a lot more female perspective in metal now um, and that activated some of the more uh, unsavory characters on the uh, on the Metal Hammer Facebook page who, you know, um, well, we're just being a bunch of twats, to be honest. And, um, uh, and at one point we got uh, Serena from Svalbard and uh, Millie from Ithaca to kind of do a fun like takedown of all the sexist bullshit that was being saying on, said online about this piece. Um, and yes, Serena's kind of written about that piece and kind of the fallout from it and kind of whether it was, you know, meant to wind people up or whatever it was. So it's, it's definitely set up an interesting debate. And we do, we do kind of briefly talk to her about that uh, in the new issue as well. So you can kind of pick up on that uh, and all the myriad other things that uh, Serena's written about in what is a very emotional and cathartic new Svalbard album. That's very, very good indeed. It's not the album of the week, but only because there is an even bigger album of the week that I feel like we should probably talk about, um, which is from Deftones. So should we do that? Yeah. 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 Fuck yeah. All right, so let's do this. This is uh, Ohms by Deftones. Um, I have to wonder if the band Ohms is slightly annoyed that one of the biggest bands in metal have put out an album called Ohms this year. That helps. It's a different spelling. Good point. Good point. No Google problems for anybody. Um, so yeah, new Deftones album. This is massive. Um, first album in four years, which seems like a long time. Uh, I believe that's the biggest gap between albums that they've ever had. Interesting. Interesting. Okay, so 
I think this album finds Deftones at a very interesting point in their career. Maybe the most interesting on a purely musical perspective for quite some time. Because 2016's Gore was a very experimental album. It felt very different for Deftones. Um, it was expansive. I dare say it was even maybe a little bit divisive because it was such a kind of movement away from Koi no Yokan and what it was. It received a glowing 9 out of 10 review in Metal Hammer from Steve. Um, no. Hi. Uh, and so now I think whenever bands get into that headspace where they've pushed something out a bit different, they've experimented, they tend to go in two directions after that, don't they? Generally speaking, they tend to either go all in on that and then they never look back. Um, you know, we've mentioned the likes of Enslaved and others who have done exactly that. Or they've kind of got that out of their system and then they turn around and they get back to doing what they're known for best. And it feels to me like this album is more of the latter. Um, what say you both? I absolutely love this record. I'm not going to hide my opinion until the end because I just love it so much. <laughs> I just really, 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 really love it. I guess just to address your point about style, it feels very coherent to me. There was a lot of discussion on Gore about how Steph Carpenter hadn't been as involved in the writing process and how he'd stepped back from it and what, nobody really knew why and it was all very confusing. And I spoke to Deftones for our current issue and Chino said they sat down after that all happened and talked very deeply about it. And on this record, you can feel that everybody has kind of come back together. And if you're listening to this, you will probably have heard the single Genesis, which is the first track on the record. And you can hear from that as soon as it comes in, Steph Carpenter is like in there. It's so, it comes in really hard and it doesn't let up in that sense. There's no ballads on this record. There's a lot of atmospherics as Deftones usually have, but there's no ballads. And it's just, Steph is all over a lot more. Frank on synths is all over a lot more. There's this really 80s, spacey, brilliant heat haze that's hovering over everything. Uh, Chino sounds brilliant. He's got so much that's aggressive, so much that's melodic, so much that's pulled back. And it feels like each member of the band are working with each other to create this record. So from that point of view, it does feel like they're all in on it. And I mean, to me, what Deftones do really well is capture something that's really hard to articulate about being human. There's like an atmosphere, a sense of how something feels. Even if you don't know exactly what a song is like, it does create something in you. And I think there's a ton of this to explore in Ohms. There's loads about Chino's personal journey, as he talked to me a bit about in the feature, about um, sort of moving through his life um, and having some therapy and kind of working himself out a bit. And there's a lot of stuff just, it seems as well, about kind of the planet and where we are in 2020. You know, I mentioned it's really expansive, it's really spacey. And he said that Ohms, the other single, is um, you know touches on climate change and that kind of thing so it just feels to me so big so expansive so coherent yet there's still kind of mysteries and things to decode and it feels very human and I just really love it I just think it's a great record awesome what are your thoughts Steve I feel I, I like I feel like I've got the kind of two foremost Deftones experts in Metal Hammer's ranks here so I'm very interested to see like well, yeah I, I unsurprisingly I think it's brilliant um, I don't know if Deftones have ever done anything that I don't think is brilliant, but whereas, you know, had it been some kind of, you know, 
gnarly clattering D beat hardcore band, which is just something which I love. And I always kind of go, by the way, I just love all that shit. So take it with a pinch of salt when I say this is brilliant. With Deftones, I think because they have done so much and their evolution and their um, the the twists and turns and the different things that they've done throughout their career are so much grander and the sort of the the chances that they've taken as a band are so much more forward thinking that actually you, you kind of should be as much as I love Deftones, I I, I do always go into every album kind of wondering. Not maybe not whether I'm going to like it or not, but how I'm going to like it. And I think Gore, I personally, I, I think Gore is an incredible record. I love it. I think it's brilliant. And the whole idea that, you know, it was Deftones gone soft or there wasn't enough heavy stuff on it. I think that's a bit of a red herring, really, because you could probably say that about Koino Yokan, but people just think of Swerve City because it's such a banger. There's nothing else really like Swerve City and Koino Yokan. And it felt to me like from sort of Diamond Eyes as a as a sort of I guess the second or maybe third movement of their career, from Diamond Eyes to Koino Yokan to Gore, that felt like a very um a quite gradual evolution of their sound. And I wondered how much further they would go with the Gore stuff. On this record and i think oms almost feels like the start of a new chapter but it's the start of a new chapter that for really the first time in their career um i don't feel like this is i mean to say i was going to say this album feels slightly directionless which is sounds like an insult but what i mean about that is is that gore had a very very specific sonic palette Adrenaline has a very, very specific sonic palette. Those two albums are very, very different. This is probably the first Deftones album, maybe with the exception of the self-titled, but I think this does this to a far greater extent, um, where you hear a little tiny bit of, I mean, that thing that Eleanor just said about um, everybody working together and everybody having their own thing. I felt like Gore, I felt like Frank Delgado, that was the Frank Delgado album. You know, Frank felt like the conductor of that record. And yeah, you had a kind of a slightly more minimalistic approach from Steph Carpenter, which is not really his natural style. So it was slightly different, but brilliant all the same. Whereas an album like like the self-titled, that was more like off you go, Steph, do the heavy thing. That's what you you are good at. And that's what and we'll, we'll build the whole album around that. Um, whereas this, I think it cherry picks all of the best parts from everything they've ever done in their entire career from the really kind of ethereal stuff that they had on um on gore from the very like expansive elongated stuff that happened on koino yokan from the sort of out and out bangers that they brought on diamond eyes and around the fur um and that kind of electro pulse and that electronic throb that was on White Pony that kind of underpins everything. I think there's elements of all of that in this record. And it's probably the first time where I felt like this almost feels like one big smushed up greatest hits of Deftones. I mean, the first record, the first two songs on the record, when I listened to them, I thought this, either of these songs could have been on Gore or the self-titled and they would have fit in brilliantly but they don't necessarily sound like either of them it's an odd thing to just go oh you know x25 nearly 38 years into their career it's kind of more deftones but it's also a lot more than that as well but yeah like l said it's 
they're a very, very difficult band to articulate and put your finger on exactly what's brilliant about them. But for me, it is the dynamic range that they have is so much greater as as a band in in the, in the kind of the, the the entirety of their discography. They have a far wider dynamic range, and they have a far their, their brush strokes are far greater and grander than pretty much. 99% of bands in music not just in metal in music and this album they go from one end of the end of the canvas all the way to the other probably as much as they ever have ever in their whole career i think it's really good i like what you said about the new chapter thing because i very much felt like that as well but it's also, as you were saying about picking di different bits from different eras, it's that strange thing we haven't mentioned because the first four records were done by Terry Dates and then Eros was meant to be done by Terry Date as well, the one that they scrapped following yeah. the death of Chi Cheng and they've gone back to him. And to me, it did feel almost a bit like there were some homecomings, like they'd gone back to Terry Date, Steph had become more involved and you could kind of feel that sort of sense of homecoming. But there's like you said about the broad brushstrokes and the palette, there's, they've got so much to draw from that it doesn't ever feel like something they've done before. It feels like the future. They've got the really interesting tones on it. On Orantia, they've got those really interesting electronic tones from Frank. They've got that seagull kind of sound on Pompeji. There's all these different bits. And it's it's always just so interesting and it's always warm as well like there's this kind of real warmth underneath it that helps kind of bring all those different bits together so it feels familiar but different at the same time um and yeah i think it's so good it's such a good record i mean in the review i did for the magazine i name checked red fang for the, for the end of the time i mean the last riff that steph does on on the title track it's like a stoner rock riff. And I'm thinking, well, I've never, ever heard Deftones do that before. And then there's bits where I've, it kind of sounds like Synthwave or Vangelis or kind of 80s. Totally, there's so much of that. Yeah. Like Ceremony, there's that Middle Eastern melody as well that kind of comes in. You're like, oh, if, and the lyrics, are, it's an illusion. And it's kind of like there's this mystical, otherworldly thing which really suits what they already do. Yeah. And there's no doubt at all as to who it is. I mean... I mean, I say it with Tool as well, with 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 someone with a voice like Maynard James Keenan and someone with a voice like Chino Moreno. As soon as you put that in that band, they can't that 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 voice is so distinctive that they can't sound like anyone else. And I think sometimes people find it very difficult to unhear that they go, "Oh, they all those Deftone songs, they kind of sound the same." But that's because that voice is just so powerful and so unique and so evocative of that thing. That whether they're doing a ballad or they're doing a new metal rager chino is he's such a dominant presence on everything that deftones do that it's very hard to disassociate yourself from the sound of that voice and just go oh well you know that all sounds the same and it absolutely doesn't and i think to bring it back around to the very very first point you made merle about do they carry on down that road or do they go back and do the thing that they're good at they've gone back and done the thing they that they're good at but when bands do that a lot of the time they go back and they really go back and they go, okay, what we did last time is gone now. That was an anomaly, like that was something that we did for one album and it's gone. They haven't thrown the baby out with the bathwater. That stuff from Gore is still on this record. It still feels like an evolution, but it's kind of, it's an evolution whilst also a return to former glories, if you want. So 
not not many bands do that and get and, and do it not and do it right they are essentially having their cake and eating it with this album death tones and yeah it's, it's like, brilliant i like the fact that they're not afraid to be heavy as well because you get you speak to so many bands who are down the line in their career and they're like yeah that's something when we we did when we were younger it's you know not really us or whatever but because that heaviness is just part of what they do they're not afraid to do it like there are some really heavy moments on this record like Pompeji when he's screaming like Jesus Christ it's like really heavy but then you'll just get something really like beautiful afterwards which is very Deftones but mm. it's so good that they've not lost that part of themselves that they will go down these heavy roads as well and that they will colour it with all these different things. Well this Link is Dead is the heavy one isn't it I, I think that's probably I mean I, I think I put in the review in the mag that this Link is Dead is the heaviest song they've done since um when girls telephone boys on the It really album. sounds like when it's got this exactly the same like it makes you feel the same thing as that song does. Yeah. I don't think they've quite hit that level. Like they they've done something, you know, like like I say, a song like um uh I was gonna say Shutter Island, then that's not the name of the first song on Koino Yokan at all. What's the name of the first song? All I can think of is it's called Shutter Island. I've already said it. Swerve City, Swerve City. Um Swerve City is a banger, but it's kind of a bouncy jump up and down banger as opposed to this sort of angular, like pick scraped, screamy, nightmarish thing that like really like anguished shit that they were doing on the first few records. Um They've not done that to that level of extremity for a long time. And the fact that they can just drop that in after this massive, like, Vangelis, Blade Runner, 80s synth soundscape thing, like, not many bands can do that. I just love Genesis, which I think wraps all those things up. Like, and the like to have that as the opener is so good. Like, to have the intro with all of those amazing spacey synths, and then he's just so heavy when he's screaming on that as well and Steph is so heavy and it's just I just love that song so much I, I think it's so good and it Chino's sort of talking about some of his personal transformations as well and so there's all these different meanings of it being called Genesis and the beginning and it feels like a beginning and there's all this weight to it like there's so many little bits and pieces to pick up in this record so many interesting lyrical frag fragments as well of what's going on if you had to I know Elle's gonna hate my guts forever you're gonna make me rank them i hate you i'm gonna make you rank them all i'm just gonna say where kind of would you put like square this album because obviously steve gave the last one uh an almighty nine out of ten um that's big that's certainly big so where, where overall would you guys kind of put this in the spectrum if it's even possible to with a band like deftones I think it's like personal, isn't it? So I think with Deftones, everybody agrees that White Pony is that definitive classic record that is, you know, a fantastic record and really unfuckwithable. But just putting that to one side, my favourite Deftones record has always been the self-titled one because I just really loved some of the emotion in that, some of the heaviness in that. And when I was talking to Chino for the magazine feature, we were talking about how much of himself is in it and how personal it goes and whereas in Adrenaline, he was kind of making like vocalizations for lyrics and White Pony was talking about fictional things. In Deftones, he was talking about personal experiences, but it, they were all kind of horrible, negative personal experiences. Whereas this record, he's also been quite personal, but it's a little bit more hopeful. And to me, in my brain, this kind of sits alongside that self-titled record in terms of how much I enjoy it. It feels like 
the self-titled one was kind of a darker one and this one is a lighter one but they're both still really weighty it's not like one of them's fluffy and one of them's not and for, so for me it's kind of white pony you have to go yeah that's a definitive one but this one is kind of on a par with the self-titled for me because that one was just so big in my life whether it was my circumstances at the time or the music and the answer is it's probably a combination of both those two are just my favorites and I just really 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 love this record so it's it's really up there for me um oh, that's a hard one that's funny actually because i think at this point the self-titled is probably my least favorite a lot of people don't like it i know i love it i think it's amazing. like for the record there's not a deftones album that i don't think is absolutely brilliant and i think eight is probably the lowest i could give this record um or well any of their records actually um I think it's probably, oh, um, I love Gore because I think it sits so far outside the rest of their back catalogue. So I probably would stick with the score I gave Gore. Um, so I, I I just about think because of Gore being, a, a and Koino Yokan I think is amazing as well. I think Diamond Eyes is just such a great comeback. This is better than Saturday Night Wrist for sure. Um, it's better than Adrenaline as well. I think as Eleanor said, White Pony is the classic, although Around the Fur is my personal favourite because it marries the new metal heaviness with the more ethereal stuff that they were going to go on and do. Um, but then that's kind of what I love about this one as well. Uh, in a nearly perfect back catalogue, I think it sits somewhere in the middle, personally. Which yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I definitely got the sense reading your review that I love this record more than you. I definitely love it more than Gore. There's something about it that speaks to me. Yeah, I, I mean I think it's I think it's really, really wicked. Like I think I mean everything they've ever done I think is is really brilliant. Um but I just I don't know. I mean the thing is that like every Deftones album feels better six months after you've had it, and then it feels even better a year after they've had it, after you've had it. You know, I, we've we've when the twentieth anniversary of White Pony came around, I started listening to White Pony, and you still hear things in it that you're like, "Oh shit, I've never noticed that before." It feels different. It's a you know, it kind of it's one of those records. I think they're a band. They sort of change the molecules in the room. Deftones. They make you feel Hopefully. different. Like when you listen to them, they can they they you just I don't know. Um, so I think probably in six months' time. I will feel like I have a far better handle on this record than I do now, even though I think it's probably one of the more um, straight ahead records of their career. I think it's probably far easier to get into this than it was, say, Gore. But like, I had to listen to Gore a lot and I was rinsing it like three, four times a day because I really felt like there's something that you're going to get a hell of a lot out of this if you listen to it like every day, three, four times a day for a month long straight and had i have reviewed gore a week after um getting it i probably would have been given it you know an eight um but it it just got better and, and this has got better and better and better but i think yeah somewhere around the middle for me but it's still absolutely brilliant i mean being a, being the middle for a depth for for death tones is like being top for <laughs> most bands to be perfectly honest yeah, that's fair. Can't really, uh, probably a mean thing to ask to Deftones fanatics to rank Deftones albums. I agree but with you. They change the molecules in the room, something like that. They change, it's, oh, there's no other band that just makes you feel something the way that they can make you feel something. They just put you in a state. So can, I, 
can I quickly address the people who don't like Deftones who are inevitably listening to this and thinking that we're just, you know, spaffing on? Because um, <laughs> I know not they're call, not if you're just going to call them cunts or something. No, no, no I'm not. I'm not. I'm, I'm going to say I know. Like, like I said, I, I think a lot of people struggle with Chino's voice, and I really? think a lot of people feel like they want to. They need something to grab onto with bands a lot of the time. They need to be sort of had their hand grabbed and to be pulled along. And I don't feel like Deftones have ever at any point in their career been the sort of band who will hold your hand and will walk you through their record. I feel like you need to find your own way. You need to kind of maneuver your way yourself through their own, through their records. And you're not going to get any help from Chino particularly, who is a very enigmatic vocalist. And I can understand why, I mean, I say I can understand, I can't really understand why people don't think Chino is a good vocalist, but I can understand how they feel like maybe he's quite alienating, I guess, sort of. I mean, I don't even really believe that, to be honest. But but Deftones are the sort of band where you have to put a great deal of the work in yourself. And I actually mm. think they're the more rewarding bands, personally. So if you have gone, oh, I saw them at Download and they were boring, and I listened to a couple of their singles and they're boring, um, they're really not. Like, it's just don't judge it after the sort of band like you can judge disturbed after one listen hey come on now let's not go there but you know with all due respect to disturbed and i'm not even slagging them you know there are some bands limp biscuit you know after one listen if whether that is a good limp biscuit song or not right with death bones you don't you 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 can you can dismiss it after one listen but you're not going to get out of it what you think you're going to get out of it until you've given it at least sort of five or six listens, I don't personally think. Fair. That's very fair. Well, uh, yeah, that is that is Deftones. Ohms is out this Friday, along with an absolute wealth of other albums. You mentioned the, the similarly excellent Svalbard album. I think that got a 9 out of 10 in the University of Mount Hummer, actually, from Matt Mills. It did. Definitely got very, very high reviews. So the highly, highly rated new Svalbard album uh, featuring Mel Hummer on it, weirdly, um, is out this Friday as well. Uh, the new, new Uada, Uada album, if you're into, uh, basically if you're into black metal, um, certainly a kind of more expensive post-black metal, definitely listen to that new Uada album. It's brilliant. Uh, the Alpha Wolf album is out this Friday as well. That's a great record. Um, you listen to that one, Steve? Shaking your head. Don't like it? I don't know what that is, to be honest. Oh, okay. It's, uh, I think it's a Nuclear Blast, was it? One, I think. Oh, God, I should know that. But yeah, really, really great band. Um, if you're into your kind of, like crushingly heavy can loosely be termed metalcore but really you're talking about kind of post meshuggerisms kind of stuff um that's really good the new anavon Housewolf album is out this weekend as well um yeah loads and loads and loads of great and interesting stuff uh you're pretty much covered for whatever type of heavy uh floats your boat so go and listen to all that great stuff and support all those great bands Questions now from the Facebook readers group. Facebook.com slash Melthammer readers is where you can come hang out with us, uh, join in all the hot debates that are going on constantly on there and uh, ask us questions for this very podcast. Uh, Sam Gore asks us, watching the Lamb of God live stream with Bleed From Within got me thinking, do you think now more than ever it's important for big name metal acts to involve lesser known up and coming bands in their events to give them some much needed exposure in these difficult times l mentioned yeah we don't we, we haven't seen a lot of kind of support slots on these live stream things yet so is it important that younger bands get opportunities to do this stuff i think it is but i think it's a question of resource as well because 
you can't just do a live stream you know you need a venue technical team cameras camera crew all kinds of things you can't just crap one out so <laughs> i think that does pose a problem we've got the more established bands doing live streams but we haven't really got smaller bands doing live streams and you can see the bleed from within one it was really good and they'd done it really well and it was set up in this big room and they even had some pyro and it was very dramatic their cameras were all fixed and you did notice a lack of movement compared with other streams where you actually have the cameramen kind of following the bands around and whether that was kind of a health reason or a budgetary reason or both you know you could um it didn't sort of detract from the enjoyment but I did notice it if you know what I mean I did kind of go oh they're just switching between cameras rather than kind of following the action um and it can't have been easy for them to organize a shoot like that at a time like this and um, it was really good um, but obviously bigger bands have got more resource and so I think that is a sticking point really um, I think it's great if big name bands can involve lesser known and up and coming bands, but have those bands got the resource to do it? And what about smaller bands that kind of can't, you know, what then? I think that's sadly an issue, I would imagine. Okay. Yeah, well, in however bands can do it, I mean, obviously it, it's very, very important always. Like it's always been um, massively important for big, bigger bands to rep and to take out smaller bands and that's been one of the sort of shittiest things that's happened this year isn't it that shit going down the wayside and um for a for a genre like ours if you don't have you know <laughs> those smaller bands are not going to get on the radio they're not going to get mtv airplay that you're not going to hear them in the background on the only way is essex or anything like that you know they're not going to be on john lewis advert so touring with big bands was always just the best way for young bands to get some kind of exposure and unfortunately that's gone by the wayside now so yeah I think bigger bands definitely do have some sort of responsibility to try and still think about how they put together packages with these streaming things where they can shout out or they can rep for bands who really really need it because you know like Alan says like if you were just to see like oh you know Svalbard, let's take them for example, have got their album out this week. They're doing an album launch show. That's all well and good for them to do a kind of, even if they could afford to do a live stream, they're going to, they're not going to get as many eyes on them as they would be if they were opening for, you know, Iron Maiden um, mm. on, on some sort of live stream. And it, it's got the potential. I think if they, they could do it, it's got the potential to, you know, break smaller bands to, absolutely huge numbers of people so i mean i hope they find a way to kind of keep doing this because if, if that's the way that it's going to go because it's just a really really integral essential part of our ecosystem really isn't it big mm. band repping the small bands definitely it's having that recognition like you said like when i was younger i didn't really know that metal existed and then i kind of got into it through new metal which i've talked about a lot and I was like, where have all these bands been hiding that I didn't have a clue about? I didn't even know this was a thing because there just aren't those mainstream platforms. And now more than ever, like we're saying with the decline of bars and the hospitality industry and the live industry, it's a real struggle. So I'm with you on the fact that like finding any way is good. Yeah, absolutely backed. Uh, Noel Rattigan says, how many bands are any of you aware of? where the instrument playing frontman and front woman is not the primary member slash songwriter of the band. So for instance, he says the only one I'll be aware of is Slayer 
as by the end, I'm pretty sure Kerry King was the main member of the band. Um, that's interesting. We'll talk about that. Uh, if there are others, have there been many situations where bands have had to try and replace them? Replacing two roles with one person must be quite difficult, I would imagine. So, yeah, instances where uh, you've got kind of the, the kind of front person and focal point for the band isn't really necessarily the main, the main member. I mean, yeah, I see what I'm sorry, I see what he's saying with Kerry, but I don't think you could have Slayer be Slayer without Tom. No, even right at the end there, like it felt like the Tom and Kerry show. Do you know what I mean? Is this talking about, is talking about <laughs> actual songwriting though? Because I'm not, I don't actually know how the songwriting was split in Slayer. Was it split between the two of them? Like, I think Kerry did a quite a big show. Yeah, because it was always King and Hanneman previously, wasn't it? So the last, certainly the last album, you would imagine it was just the Kerry King songwriting credits, I would have thought. I don't know. So I guess that's what it's getting at rather than like a front person. It's like a songwriter, isn't it? Mm. Um, like mean, Slipknot, when Paul Gray passed away and nobody knew how integral Paul Gray was to their songwriting, that was a massive deal because suddenly there were all these questions about how they would carry on. And obviously then you kind of found out a little bit more about how they worked and Clown is kind of one of the band leaders really when it comes to aesthetics and sound and so on. He's kind of maybe come to the fore a little bit more. That was a really interesting situation. I mean, obviously horrific, but to kind of see how they dealt with that. Yeah, I mean, I kind of thought um, it's a weird one because, you know, these artists aren't quite the same as with Tom because Tom's obviously playing an instrument and stuff as well. But obviously... In, with Iron Maiden, Iron Maiden for me will always fundamentally be Steve Harris's band. Like he's the kind of main uh, kind of focal, not focal point, but he's kind of the main creative force and leader around which the band operates. Um, he's like the kind of key songwriter, um, and it just seems like it's the sh- he's the one that's always fundamentally steering that ship. Um, Alice in Chains came to mind as well. You know, Jerry Cantrell is such a massive part of that band. He's kind of the chief songwriter. And obviously when Lane died, I think like he became even more of a band leader. Like it is his band, I think. Um, and uh, uh, one just came to mind as well. Oh yeah, I, I was kind of thinking even with Metallica really, like, um, you know, yes, James is the front man and he's kind of like the people, the one that people love to focus around. But like Metallica's Lars's band. And I would always see it as Lars's bands. He he wanted to put the thing together. And again, I feel like even though the creative dynamic is fundamentally between Lars and James, um, I just feel like Lars is kind of steering the, the the franchise, the machine that is Metallica ultimately. I think Tool is the most obvious one because Maynard literally comes in at the end of the process and does his vocals. Like, you know, and the whole thing about everyone going, when is there going to be a Tool album and directing all their hate at Maynard? And Maynard's like, ask the other guys. <laughs> I'm prolific enough with my other projects. Um, the two that came to my mind, not particularly metal, which is why I'm saving to the end, is, um, well, Richie Edwards in the Manic Street Preachers would be, I think, one of the most interesting ones in music because obviously he was the focal point of the band had absolutely no musical ability whatsoever, but at the same time wrote all the lyrics and the, everything that happened aesthetically and musically was based around him. And when he went missing, they had to com- just rip up their entire rule book and 
or their entire career basically and start from scratch and did something just so so different to what they would have been doing before so that was a really really interesting rebirth i think i'd also throw in pink floyd i think sid barrett leaving pink floyd in the 60s like they were thought of as you know the Dave Gilmore coming in to replace Sid Barrett massively changed him and let Roger Waters take over and then Roger Waters left. And I think it's rare that you find a band who have been so defined by one person, by a singular person twice in their career. In Pink Floyd's case, you've got three different band leaders for one band. You've got the Sid Barrett era, the Roger Waters era, and then the Dave Gilmore era where that is being definitely driven by one person. I mean, to have that done twice in one career is pretty unique. I think they've done three times. I'm not sure anyone's ever done that before. So they would be the two main ones who I admit have got very little to do with heavy metal music, but still. They're good. My answer. <laughs> They're good. That's what counts. Um, fair points. One and all. Uh, L, do you want to say the next question? Relating to the Napalm Death chat last week, which bands with five plus albums have never made a not great album, in your opinion? It would be Deftones for me. That's from Tom Farrow. I agree, Deftones have not made a bad album. Looking our answer, isn't he? Or even a even a not not great a not album. Great album. Yeah. Deftones. A hundred percent Deftones. But I'd also throw in Slipknot, Night Nails, yeah. Slipknot. Slipknot, no. I like all Slipknot's albums. But would you call The Grey Chapter a great album? I like that a lot more than other people do, I think. But is it a great uh, album? Oh. <laughs> oh, gone. I mean, like, there's not a great song on All Hope Is Gone. No, come on. I love All Hope Is Gone. We're not having this conversation no, again. No, I can't. I mean, okay, I'll, I'll take Slipknot out the running just for The Grey Chapter because it's not as great as, like, Iowa or something. But I'll have Tool in there. Deftones yeah. is the ultimate, though, really, isn't it? I think it is. Um, I think Death... Is that their fifth album? Yeah, sort of. Uh, well, he's, very specific. He's, been, he's been specific here, so... No, they've got five plus oh, albums. Yeah, they've got five, haven't they? Sorry, I'd, this, I forgot about Fear Inoculum. Fucking hell. Awful. Um, but yes. Did you awful under your breath? Awful for me to forget that after waiting fucking <laughs> 10 years for an album, I forgot a year after it comes out, I forgot it even exists. And they're like one of my favourite bands ever. That's not great. Um, yes, yeah, Tool. Tool for sure. Um, I throw in Death. Uh, I think all the Death albums are fucking brilliant. Um, the Dillinger Escape Plan, I think, nice. deserve to be in there. I would say every time I die as well, a really, really consistent, but last night in town's not great, but everything beyond that is brilliant. Um, Black Dahlia Murder had a really good run from kind of nocturnal, nocturnal, deflorate, ritual, ever black, abysmal Nightbringers, all really, really good. Every, um, I've said every time I die, haven't I? Yeah. Meshuggah, I've got five on the trot at least. Destroy a race, Chaos Fear, nothing. Cat 33, Obson, that's a good run of five, isn't it? I don't well, think, I think it's, about saying, it's about the whole discography. Yeah, it's got to be the whole discography, but the yeah. band has to have five or more albums, so it's got to be everything they've done. Yeah. I, You've got well, to well, okay. take Black Dahlia and Every Time I Die out there as well. I think every Sugar album is basically pretty good. Pearl Jam. Right, All right, fine. Just me then. Pearl well, the one... Jam. Who? Pearl Jam. No. <laughs> 
they're all so different in their but good in their own ways. Mm, I mean, lightning bolts rubbish. It's not rubbish. Pretty rubbish. Although, if you're going to say whether an album's great or not, which was the test you just like applied to Slipknot, then I'll take them out the order. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard. And and one most of the ones that came to mind for me were ones you've already said, which are bands I'm not massively into, but I objectively recognise that they've never made what is widely regarded as a bad album. So Deftones, Dillinger, Every Time I Die did come to mind for me as well. Um, I put Baroness down here. I, I've really, really liked everything they've done. Yeah, um, even the last album, Golden Grey, I haven't listened to it quite as much since it came out, but like I've just look, I've got the vinyl here. I'm looking at it now. When I still put it on, I still put it on and I'm like, oh, yeah. So I think I'd probably just still put them in that bracket if we if we say pro jam and going outside of metal a little bit the the answer for the best most consistent back catalog in the history of music is fugazi that's a fact it's a very steve answer it's a very steve answer that's that's like seven ten out of ten records well i want to ask about every time i die because they are one of the bands that slipped through the cracks for me i just never I didn't come in at the beginning or the middle and now I'm just like, I don't really, they don't mean anything to me whatsoever. I see that people like them live and I kind of see them and go, yeah, they've got a load of energy, but which album is the album? Uh, I think it depends on what you like. I like the Big Dirty because it's when they brought in those kind of Southern rock, you know, it was mm-hmm. around the time that Southern rock things happened, like Maylene and the Sons of Disaster and stuff. And I just think they took that and they did it sort of better than everyone else. Gut Phenomenon's really good as well. That's when they, sort of polish things up a little bit. I really like uh, X Lives is still the one I listen to quite a lot because that's yeah. still got quite a lot of that Southern stuff, but they kind of imbued it with even more of the kind of, the kind of style of hardcore, which they basically initiated. And it, even now is still fucking everywhere. Yeah. 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 Savage that record. I mean, um, from parts unknown and, um, uh, what's the last one called? Low teens. I mean, low teens is amazing. Like, it's just really, really, really heavy. Uh, yeah, they're brilliant. New Junk, I mean, all of, they're all, I've just named, we just named all of their albums, apart from New Junk Aesthetic, which I've just done now, because it's really good as well. But I would say The Big Dirty is the easiest one to get into. It's got the most bangers on it. I am simple. I do like bangers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you do the next question, Steve. Let's make this democratic. Oh, I've just put a chewing gum in my mouth. What an idiot. Um... Swallow it. <laughs> no. uh, 25 years to digest chewing gum if you swallow it. So, you know, don't do that. Uh, would you, why are you giving me this question? Um, would you rather be a Disney character or a character on Family Guy? Says Scott Sitompool. Scott Sitompool. He's, he, he does us loads of questions. Um, well, I mean, they're obviously very similar things. That's so a hard choice. <laughs> I would, wouldn't want to be either of those things. I would definitely rather be a Disney character. The Family Guy characters are all just mental and horrible. Basically. I was going to say, it's so easy to pick. Family Guy was good when it started and then it just sucked and I just hate it and it's boring and awful. And I'm, I'd be, I'm not a Disney fanatic. I know a lot of people, um, I was going to say of my age, but it sounds weird because I'm in my 30s and Disney's for kids. But, you know, a generation of people that was sort of obsessed with Disney films and loved it and I really wasn't bothered about Disney. I've never been to Disney World or anything like that. But... Disney's better than Family Guy, and I would be a character from Finding Nemo. 
probably most similar to Dory, but I'd take any of the characters, to be honest. Get to swim around in the ocean all day. Somebody likes fish. <laughs> I love fish. Why don't you marry a fish? The thing about being Dory is that you swim about in the ocean and you won't remember it. So, But you can enjoy it over and over again. Good point. Also, you're a fictional animated fish as well, Merle, and you know, they can talk and they've got teeth and like brains and stuff do you know what i mean so i think you in, in real, real fish have brains mate <laughs> yeah, they do. that's not what kurt cobain taught me <laughs> no, yeah, i don't like that line i don't like that line it's mean fish do have feelings they know if you hurt them steve huh you could be a Disney princess. Yeah, cool. Do that. Little Mermaid or something. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, <laughs> I'd be probably um, probably like Pumba. He just has a laugh walking around, <laughs> eating, farting, and getting Larry with hyenas. That's fine. Eating. Oh, I have to eat bugs, though. I'm not really into that. But that's Sorry. okay. It'll be worth it for a simple life. Um, Mark Baker says I have an awful habit awful disgusting habit Mark Baker it's so <laughs> light, mate. Don't worry about it. Um, I have an awful habit of adding bands and albums to my Spotify account and never getting around to listening to them due to a lack of time for me to, to later forget why, why I added them that's a bit worrying <laughs> really you know why you added them because you wanted to listen to them Mark please tell me that I'm not alone in this and you but might you are I'm afraid, Mark. You are. <laughs> like, I mean, <laughs> with me, definitely. I don't know about you two, but yes. I don't do what Mark does, but I have a bad habit of like just going, oh, I don't know what to listen to. I've forgotten all the bands in the world. And what I actually need yeah. to do is curate my account so that I've got all the bands. I follow all the bands that I love. I've saved all the albums that I love and it's all on there. And I can just go in and be like, this is what I'm listening to. And I haven't really done that administrative process. It's just very haphazard. Every now and then I'll just like something or save something. And I actually need to sit down and be really systematic, but I haven't done it. Uh, my Spotify game is tight. Um, obviously other streaming services are available, but yeah, I've, I've got it down. If, if there's a new, I mean, to be honest, I find that I, the first thing I do like every Friday is get straight on, release radar yeah or yeah just see what's going on i don't even just go and release release radar i'll like go into the genres and see what the new releases are and then maybe like later in the day i'll get a thing going did you know there's a new album up blah blah, blah. um i hate that shit when they're like there's a new biffy clyro you know i fucking know there's a new biffy clyro album out you idiot what do you think i am not yeah. everyone's as switched on as you steve we can't all know everything and to be fair everything, but if you are like <laughs> like liking loads and loads of things don't pick the most obvious thing for me. It'd be like, give me something that I wouldn't have heard. Yeah. It's not hard, is it? Although they do sometimes, I listen to a lot of dance music and a lot of DJs do just drop stuff sometimes. And there have been times where I remember the last time I saw Dead Mouse live, um, I was getting up in the morning. It was a beautiful sunny day on a Friday. I was so excited about seeing Dead Mouse that night. And I opened up my phone and Spotify did actually come up with a thing saying, Dead Mouse had just dropped a new EP and I didn't know he was doing it. And I was like, ah. So I was very happy about that. But I don't know. I don't think I've got loads of backlog stuff I'm yet to listen to. Probably more in my emails than in my Spotify, to be honest. Yeah. The Sorry, hey, guys, music uh, industry uh, bants, yeah? That yeah. Is, uh, that's the life we're living. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Apologies to all PRs that I have to work with who probably hate my guts. 
Um, Kevin Rowan says, on the podcast the week before last, oh yeah, we talked about this earlier, the last Lamb of God self-titled album was harshly, in my opinion, identified as the 2020 album that disappointed you the most. So Kevin agrees with Al on this. Uh, given the history and tradition of self-titled metal albums, some of which, i.e. Iron Maiden, Black Sabbath, etc., are classics, what other self-titled metal albums have disappointed you? I feel like... All of them, pretty much. All the ones that you haven't mentioned, pretty much, I'd say. Well, I, th- I think there's a big difference between Iron Maiden, Black Sabbath, Slipknot. Like, your first album being self-titled is different, isn't it? That's just you putting your first album out. When a band kind of goes, this next album self-titled, it does feel like you're making a statement, doesn't it? Yeah, a statement that is a, usually a really bad idea to make that statement, I think, because like, that's what Suicide Silence did. That worked out well for them. Um, that album's awful. Um, you know, Kill Switch, I know you've got Kill Switch Engaged down as one of your answers. Yeah, the second Kill Switch self-titled and the second Corn self-titled. Both. Yeah. I was going to say Corn 3, remember who you are. Everybody was like, oh, I love it. It's really good. It's back to the old school and it just did nothing for me, really. I've said that before. It just wasn't the one for me. Mm. There's a lot. I mean, yeah, there's there's a lot of bands who just do the self-titled thing and it's in the middle of their career. And I don't think it sounds like you're doing the definitive thing. I think it sounds like you run out of ideas. Mm. And that's usually what the album sounds like as well. Um, Some bands have managed it though. Metallica did it with the Black Album, smashed yeah. it. Um, we mentioned Deftones earlier, of course. Got away yeah. with it. I mean, the, the self-titled Ranched album is quite good. Um, even like, I know you love the self-titled Deftones. I love the self-titled Deftones album, but it's certainly not their definitive album. I'm not sure if they were saying it was back in the day when they released it. Pearl Jam, again, self-titled Pearl Jam album is not, comes in the middle of their discography and it's like, yeah. Um, it's rare to, for, that, for that to actually happen when you say, oh, that's a definitive album. It's very, very rare that that actually works out the way that you thought it was going to, I think. Yeah, I think that's fair. As arguably, Lamb of God may have, may have shown this year. Um, that is it for this week's show thank you for joining us everybody um we will be back next week of course with all the latest news and metal goodness go check out all those amazing albums out this week i know it feels like everything's shit sometimes but there's so much good music coming out so go and just dive into it all when it's all out on friday uh, don't forget to pick up the latest issue of metal hammer as well right now you appreciate your support very much and we will see you all soon everybody stay safe out there goodbye goodbye Bye.